Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, the sports editor at The Red and Black, your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by women's basketball reporter Bo Underwood and men's basketball reporter Samuel Higgs. First up, though, Sports Desk Assistant Editor Owen Warden will join the show to recap the NFL Combine. Before we start, we need to mention the Jalen Carter developments. He turned himself in for charges of reckless driving and racing in connection with a crash that resulted in the deaths of Devin Willick and Chandler LaCroix. Carter was released on bail. Now, because of this, he wasn't able to fully participate in the combine. The situation is ongoing, but that's what we know as of right now. Welcome to the show, Owen. Great to be here, John. It's a really busy time for Georgia football at the moment. Spring practice just started. G-Day is a, mi- is a month away. Georgia's Pro Day is, uh, is literally today. So the first March milestone, though, was the NFL Combine. A lot of Georgia players were there. Thir- 12 in total. 13 could have been eligible, but, but Warren Erickson was omitted. So who raised their stock out of those 12 players? Who raised their stock most in Indianapolis? I think... It would be a crime if I didn't mention the fact that Nolan Smith absolutely balled out. And it that if anything, that's an understatement because I don't know how well words can really quantify how well he did. Um, A four three nine forty is a ridiculous time just for for notes. Every single quarterback that ran, including Anthony Richardson, who ran, I believe, one of the fastest, if not the fastest time for a quarterback. Yeah, he ran. He outran every single one of those guys. Um, and that's coming from an edge. So if you're taking him in the draft, you feel pretty confident about him being able to track down the quarterback. I mean, but let's be honest, it wasn't just how fast he was. He put up a 41.5 inch vertical which is incredible it was one of the best in the combine out of everyone let alone the edge players who he did rank at towards the top um nolan smith was absolutely incredible at almost every single drill that he did um and that's coming off of a torn pack and of course that torn pack meant that he wasn't going to do any bench which would have been nice would have been nice to see his strength and see how that kind of compared it with his speed but man to come off an injury like that and run as fast as he did that was exciting and the fact that he was talking about that he thought he could go faster makes me only excited for what he can do at Georgia's upcoming pro day Nolan wasn't the only guy turning heads at the combine Darnell Washington also impressed some people this year has a pretty stacked tight end class in the draft so what sets Darnell apart from some of his peers well it's part partly how far you have to crane your neck to look up at the guy um, considering the dude is about 6'6", six, six, um, nearly 6'7", which honestly, I, I think I'd give it to him, uh, just comparing him to the other 6'6", six, six tight ends. That dude is ridiculously big, and, and you'll hear it from every single draft analyst um, from now till he's drafted and then even beyond. He, If you pick him, it's like bringing another offensive lineman onto your team. He's an excellent blocker. He made a he made that sled look like a child's toy when he was pushing it, and he's incredibly athletic. If you're a Georgia fan, you've seen the hurdles he's been able to make. You've seen catches he's been able he's been able to make, and there's even a highlight at the combine of a just he reached back and grabbed one out of the air. 
Um, he's ridiculously athletic. He's a really talented player. Maybe not always going to be the fastest. Maybe always not going to be able to jump the highest. But at his size alone, you gotta just be impressed with how fast he's going to run, how high he's going to jump. Even if it's not more than everybody else, that size is still impressive compared to what he's bringing to the table. There's been a lot of talk about quarterbacks recently. You mentioned Anthony Richardson's incredible athleticism. CJ Stroud showed off his accuracy at the Combine. Bryce Young measured in over 200 pounds, which was significant to a couple teams. What should people take away from Stetson Bennett's Combine performance? Well, I think you're not going to really be wowed by any of the numbers he was putting up in the drills. I mean, aside from his his 20-yard shuttle, which was surprisingly pretty good. He, he, did, he did really well there. Um, and he put up a solid 40 time. But when he finally got out there and finally got to throw the football, I think he proved to a lot of people how good his deep ball really is. When they measured each quarterback's uh, velocity throwing the football, he came at a 59 miles per hour, tied with Will Levis, who is a guy that's really heralded for his arm. So it's very clear that Stetson has no problem throwing a deep ball. And I think he proved a lot to a lot of people that he can, considering that out of the first group of quarterbacks to throw, which again included Levis, he outshone what Levis in that in that aspect of the drill in my eyes. Uh, he's still a pretty flawed quarterback. Um, I think his short game is really weak. Um, he lacks a little bit of the touch that you would love to see on those short passes. There was there was one rep where he kind of got it behind the guy and he kind of stumbled out of bounds. So I think there's plenty to work on for Stetson's game. His size will be a little bit of a detractor but I mean people always point to how short and, and, and skinny Bryce Young is so I think he showed off how good his deep ball is but it's very clear there is still work for Stetson to do to get to that next level of quarterback a lot of people are talking about Stetson Bennett a lot of people are talking about Darnell Washington a lot of people are talking about Nolan Smith who is a bulldog that went a little under the radar at the combine who impressed but they just didn't get enough attention or enough credit for that performance. Well, I'll give a few. The first one that comes to mind um, that we just haven't touched on is Broderick Jones. He ran the fastest out of all offensive linemen at that combine. Um, his stance easily looked one of the best, if not the best, out of all offensive linemen at that combine. And he's my uh, offensive lineman slash offensive tackle one in this upcoming draft. I think he's a great player. He's incredibly athletic. Gives me a lot. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah said it himself, but. Um, he gives me a lot of Ikmaquanu vibes, and for that reason, I really like him. Um, but a couple other guys that aren't getting the same amount of attention, Robert Beal Jr. ran a 4.48 at the Combine. That's incredibly fast. That's a lot faster than I thought he was going to run, and that really gives him some value, maybe not necessarily as a starter, but if you're running that fast and, being, and you're playing at such a good size, and, I mean, what, he's, he's led Georgia in sacks before, I mean... He's clearly a guy that I think can contribute on special teams, and I think that 40 time really solidified that. And just one final one, Kenny McIntosh. Again, his numbers aren't going to jump off the board at you. He's not going to wow you in any way if you're just looking over on, on NFL.com's combine results. But what he was able to do at many different points, whether it was blocking drills, whether it was catching the ball out of the backfield, I thought he did a great job at that, and I thought he, he really showcased himself as just a good running back for any team to have. On the flip side, was there anyone who you think kind of underwhelmed at the Combine who 
came out of that event saying, ooh, I wish I should have shown more. I could have shown more. Well, I mean, some of those, I mean, we talked about earlier, Nolan thought he could run faster, and most guys always think they can run faster and always think they can do a little bit more, and and the pro day is going to give them plenty of opportunity. I was just the most disappointed with Christopher Smith. He's a guy that's already light and short at the safety position. So you just you wanted him to see you wanted to see him run a little bit faster, jump a little bit higher and farther, um, just showcase his abilities a little bit more, and he just didn't do that. Um, now the good news is for safeties, a lot of them rely a lot more on their the way they see the field, the way they read the field, the way they kind of dissect everything going on, and I think uh, he's one of the best out there. Um, I think Christopher Smith just sees that the, the, the field incredibly well, which has been a result of why he's gotten so many great and, and monumental turnovers, which we could spend a while talking about, but we won't. Um, I think those traits will serve him well in the NFL, but certainly the athleticism wasn't that impressive. All right, Owen. We talked about a lot of guys here today. It's almost 10 names up and down the roster. Georgia's Pro Day is coming up later today. Who is your guy going to be on for this morning, this afternoon? Who are you keeping track of for the Pro Day? I mean, you got to keep your eyes on a couple of Georgia's fastest guys, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo. you got to see, can they get faster? Because there's a real possibility they can. I mean, if Nolan somehow shaves a few seconds off of that and gets to a 4-3-5, I would be wowed. If Keeley can get a little close to a, a 4-2, nine that would be ridiculous so you got to see if they can do that um but i'm part of me is excited to see warren erickson i mean we was another combine uh and same thing with warren mcclendon who was invited but didn't do any drills and it's a tbd but if jalen carter does do anything it would be interesting to see what he does but again i think the two offensive linemen that we didn't that we haven't gotten to see do any drills mcclendon and erickson i think it'll be fun to see what they can bring they might not wow you but it's just good to put eyes on guys that you haven't for my money, it's Kenny McIntosh. Kenny has always been one of my favorite players to watch. It seems like every game I'm covering, he does something where you go, where you say, where did he go? He just vanished, and he moved 10 yards in a split second. He might not have that straight line speed that you want an elite running back to have, but he is so incredibly elusive, and I don't think that was shown accurately at the Combine. No, and... And, and, and that's why I still wanted to highlight him, because he does so many things well. And hopefully that the pro day will be – it's in his hands. He got to do a lot of the workouts, and he got to be responsible for what's going to be going on on Wednesday. So, I mean, I think, I think he could really have a great day, and I hope he does for his sake. Thanks for coming on the show, Owen. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, we'll be joined by Bo Underwood hear about all the action coming from the women's basketball beat. Welcome to the show, Bo. Thank you for having me. So the last time we talked, Georgia was on the way to the SEC tournament. They lost in the second round to LSU, who is eventually a three seed in the NCAA tournament. What went wrong for Georgia and the loss to LSU? Pretty much the wheels fell off the wagon on defense. The big negative on offense was the fact that Diamond Battles went 2-for-12, which is never good. But the big takeaway from this game is that Georgia just couldn't defend anybody. LSU had two players finish with over 20 points, and then Angel Reese had 15. And they shot 50% from both the field and from three. So it was just a disastrous defensive performance from Georgia. 
And I also think that the 45-minute rain delay in the middle of the game might have thrown them off a bit too. But that isn't an excuse for the type of performance they had on defense. So that's a whole lot of bad right there. But were there any positives to take away from the SEC tournament for the Bulldogs? They had a solid win over Auburn where they pretty much played their brand of basketball, played really good defense, and Diamond Battles had a great game. Also, they are shooting, or in the in the two SEC tournament games they played, they shot 45% from three, which is a really promising sign going into the tournament for a team that has struggled um, from the outside all year. And so if it turns out that they really have turned a corner in terms of outside shooting, they could be dangerous. Now, George is a 10 seed heading into the NCAA tournament. What do listeners need to know about other teams in Georgia's region? So I'll I'll run through the top three seeds real quick before getting into Florida State. So the one seed is Stanford. Their best player is Cameron Brink, who leads their team in scoring, and she might be the best rim protector in the country. Stanford is very good on both ends, and they're playing in their own arena for the first couple rounds, so that should be a huge advantage for them. The two seed is Iowa, who is led by Caitlin Clark, who is just an absolute phenom. She's one of the best scorers women's college basketball has ever seen. She also leads them in rebounds, assists, and blocks, so she's just doing everything over there. Um, they also have uh, Monica Sineno, who has been a really good number two option down low for them pretty much all season, and she should also be a handful for a lot of teams. So if Georgia wins, they would presumably play Iowa in the second round, provided Iowa beats 15-seeded southeastern Louisiana. Um, and then the third seed is Duke, who Duke is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Um, their offense has been pretty shaky all year, but they also have been shutting people down. Their best scorer is guard Celeste Taylor, who averaged like a hair over 11 points a game. Duke is a strange team because they have so much trouble scoring sometimes. They lost in the ACC tournament when they put up they put up like 37, 38 points or something in the whole game. But they're still dangerous nonetheless just because of how well they play defense. So that's a whole lot of intimidating talent for Georgia to have to go through eventually, possibly. But first they have to get through Florida State. Who should Georgia be watching out for on the Seminoles roster? Tania Latson is the highest scoring freshman in the country, so she's obviously who Georgia should be the most concerned with. However, she's dealing with some injury issues right now, which kind of complicate things a little bit, which is also just a big reason Florida State kind of skidded a little bit to end the season and ended up as a seven seed. So if she isn't at full strength, another player to watch out for is Michaela Timpson, who is a capable scorer and a very good rebounder and rim protector. So those are the two players I would say Georgia needs to be pretty keyed in on. If Georgia makes a Cinderella run, how does it happen? How does Georgia beat all of these teams consecutively in a row? Diamond battles on a heater, lockdown defense, lights out three-point shooting. What does Georgia need to do? Um, It's going to take a little bit of, of all that, but their, their defense definitely needs to bounce back after the LSU game. And their perimeter players like Diamond Battles and Alicia Lewis need to step up and score, particularly from outside just so that Georgia can keep up with Florida State and potentially Iowa, who both have these two just electrifying guards who can score at will. So I would say it's going to take sound defense like they've been playing essentially all year and efficient perimeter shooting so that they can keep up with the scoring of some of these other two teams. All right, Bo, prediction time. What is Georgia's ceiling in this tournament, and how far do you think they actually make it? 
I would say their absolute ceiling is Sweet 16, and that's if they play to their fullest potential on defense and are able to kick it up a notch in terms of scoring. How far do I think they actually will go? I do think they beat Florida State in the first round because Latson's injury is going to be such a huge step, uh, setback for Florida State. But I just don't see them being able to overcome the absolute barrage they're going to get from Caitlin Clark in the second round without playing out of their minds on defense. We'll see how it turns out. Thanks for coming on the show, Bo. Thank you for having me, John. Finally, we'll be joined by men's basketball reporter Samuel Higgs to recap the season for the men's basketball team. Welcome to the show, Sam. It's always great to be here, John. So, to end the season, Georgia lost its final six games. It was not pleasant to watch. What went wrong for the Bulldogs over that final stretch of the year? You know, this is a question I get every single time I'm on here. And the more I think about it, the more it starts to slowly make sense for me. I've mentioned throughout my time here on the podcast that they either can't stop teams defensively or they either can't put up points on a consistent level. And then I came to the realization, just purely based off of how many different starting fives they have, they can't figure out a perfect balance with their starting five that will provide them both defense and offense. We've seen them go defensive heavy starting fives. They can't put up points. We've seen them put out some of their best scores. They can't defend anything. They can't find a perfect mesh for both sides of the ball. Um, so I feel like going into the next season, that's going to be something that Mike White is going to be like trying to figure out is finding that perfect mesh of both offense and defense. The season wasn't completely bad, though. The team pulled off a ranked win over Auburn. They were 11-3 and at one point. When things were going well, what were the Bulldogs doing to get those games, to, to get those wins in the book? I think it ultimately came down to the confidence that they had when they were on the court. I think the confidence helped propel the team to a great start compared to where they were last year. They were closing out games. They were competing. They were putting up points. They were defending opponents at a high level. Um... And I just think that brought a lot of confidence with the team for the team going into winter break and like going into conference play. We saw a guy like Terry Roberts lighting it up and we saw them like rank among the top 10 and three point three point defense. I think like when you look at the beginning of the season, you know, to my previous answer talking about they couldn't find that perfect mesh of the starting five. I don't think it really mattered compared to like who they were going against. They weren't going against these teams like Alabama, Auburn, Missouri, Arkansas, or like all these other SEC programs that are in the tournament. It just seemed like the team was having a little bit more fun winning those games and gave them deserved confidence. Overall, who would you say was the MVP from this Bulldog season? You know, I, I pondered on this thought for a little bit because I just couldn't put my finger on to one specific player that played consistently throughout the entire season. Um, like I mentioned, Terry started hot. Cario had his moments. Braylon Bridges is also a guy that I believe der- deserves some respect. And, and then Justin Hill was one of the better players going on or playing in the end of the season. Um, but if I had to pick one guy specifically, I'm going to have to go with Terry Roberts, even though he didn't finish the season as well as he started. He led the team in points, assists, and steals. And then plus his impact was just game-changing at times. Uh, you know, he stepped it up defensively and was one of the better defenders on the team. He was a leader and just somebody that Coach White, uh, you know, praised almost every media availability you mentioned that a lot of players were up for consideration as the team's mvp of the year 
who was someone who was a little more unsung, a little more unheralded in their performance, but they contributed a lot to the team either way. You know, I did mention a lot of names, and I'm going to pick one of the names that I mentioned in that previous answer, and that was Braylon Bridges. I think Braylon deserves his flowers. I think there are so many missed opportunities for him to shine during that brutal six-game stretch where they were just getting blown out. And if you watch those games, you could see some visible frustration coming from him because he knew that he could help this team win. I thought after that amazing game that he had against Ole Miss and Stegman that he would be, you know, a focal point for the offense because just like you fed him in the paint, you got to the shot that he wanted to get at and he always just made it. There'd be games where he'd finish perfect from the field and he finished finished the season leading the team in field goal percentage at 56.1. So I think he deserves some credit and I think he was the unsung hero of the team. Now it's time for the moment of truth, Sam. Looking back at Mike White's inaugural season with the Bulldogs, what grade would you give Georgia men's basketball team for their performance this year as a whole? At first, I was going to give this team a B-, but the more I thought about it, it has to be a C+. By no means was this the best UGA basketball team we've seen, but the reason why I gave that grade is mostly because when you look at the team last year, and I say this in the nicest way, they were horrendous. They went 6-27 and last year, winning only one game in SEC play, and then under first-year head coach Mike White, they got up to 16-16, and an even 500. They upset Kentucky at home. They beat Auburn at home. Stegman Coliseum was rocking all season with excitement, and that's probably why it started cracking and falling apart. We saw improvements, which I believe has impacted the recruiting trail and made UGA a more desirable place to play in the SEC compared to where they were last year. Although the season went better, it did not end on a high note, but I know I'm not the only person that's excited to see what Mike White can do to get this team to an A+. Georgia fans had to know the season was a rebuild, and if this is the start to one, then I think good things are to come. I'm with you there. Mike White has done some really, really hopeful things for this team this year, and I think after Tom Crean, that's something this program needed. Thanks for coming on the show, Sam. It's always a pleasure, John. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.